Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the LA area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. We've come here to Luke chapter 22, and as a reminder... We're in the final week of Jesus' life, and he is going to say something that's really unique and very, very, very specific in chapter 22, because he's going to say that he wants to celebrate Passover uh, with his disciples. And you'll notice there in verse 1, it says, Now the feast of unleavened bread drew nigh, which is called the Passover. And Jesus is going to go on in just a couple of verses and tell us, that he wants to celebrate that with the disciples. It is extremely important for us to think on what Jesus is saying beyond what we have adopted and what Jesus passed along as our communion celebration. Because there is a significant amount of information that is contained in that word, Passover. What is it that the disciples are actually going to celebrate? What would they have known as Jesus speaks those words. Context is everything in Scripture as a general rule. If you take verses out of context, they can, be, they can mean almost anything. In the context of this, Jesus is saying, guys, before I go to the cross, before I give my life, I want to celebrate Passover with you. And so we'll pick up here and We'll look at what Jesus was saying as he uses this feast of unleavened bread or Passover to speak to the disciples in one last Passover. Would you pray with me? Lord, we have again just come. We've come to your table, King Jesus, to celebrate the sacrifice that you made for us on Calvary's cross, that you gave a lot, your life a ransom for us that your blood was spilled and paid the redemptive price to buy us back from the slavery of our sin, to pay the price for that sin, to calculatedly wipe away our debt as we receive you by grace and through faith. And so, Lord, would you speak to us through your word? Would you encourage us this morning as we come to your table? Help us to prepare our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. You might be asking yourself, you know, why would that be important? Well, Jesus is a Jewish rabbi, and he is speaking to a group of Jewish people with a very Jewish message as he uses the word Passover. As he seeks to celebrate with his disciples this, what amounts to, for the Jewish people at that time, a celebration really of their birth. And we need to go backwards a little bit in the history of our Bible in order to understand this adequately. And to do so, we would go back to the Passover itself, which is found in Exodus chapter 12. Most of you are aware of, or at least familiar with, some of the things that led up to that period of time that the Jewish people now find themselves in when the first Passover celebration actually happens. Abraham comes into the land. He's left Ur of the Chaldees. He comes across this journey 
uh, from modern-day Iraq all the way through Syria, follows along the Tigris, the Euphrates River Valley, uh, comes up through modern-day Syria, down through Lebanon, into what is called Canaan, the land of promise. And it is there that the Jewish people ultimately uh, find the land of promise. But while they're in the land of promise, they begin to worship false gods. They fall into a time of walking away from the Lord. And because of that, in their rebellion, in their disobedience, God sends them into a period of bondage of 400 years in the land of Egypt. And while they're in Egypt, it is a rough place to be. Their lives are miserable. And so while they're in this position, God brings Moses along. Moses is ultimately going to go to Pharaoh not once, not twice, but ten times, right? And he's going to express to Pharaoh God's desire for the people to be set free. It starts with simple things, a plague of flies. Then it moves to frogs. And then the river Nile turns to blood, which, by the way, the Egyptians would have viewed as an assault on virtually everything Egyptian. They believed that to be the source of life. But that doesn't get him to change his opinion, does not get Pharaoh to let the Jewish people go. God's done with them. He wants to deliver them. And so he institutes on that final plague night what seems to be a very strange celebration that today we would call Passover. For them, it was very specific. Everyone was to take an unblemished lamb or a goat, and they were to slaughter that goat and to take the blood and put it on the doorpost and the lentils, both horizontally and vertically, on their house. They were to place the blood of the innocent lamb on their house, and when the angel of death came, they would be delivered. And from there, they would cross over the Red Sea. And from there, they would enter into the wilderness. And from there, they would ultimately end up uh, in, back into the Promised Land under the conquest of Joshua. But while they were there, God spoke to them. And he gave them a few keys to this ceremony and why it was important and how they would celebrate it. And finally, he says there in verse 11 of Exodus 12, this is how you shall eat the Passover. Well, it was unleavened bread. They didn't have a chance to prepare it. There was no waiting for what yeast would normally do, which would be to inflate your bread and make it nice and fluffy. So they ended up eating what we would equate to a modern matzah, which is in the bottom of your cup there. It was placed on a hot rock. In order to make it cook quicker, it would normally be pierced. And because it was uneven, it would also have brown spots in it, which would normally make it look like it was scarred or blemished. Keep those things in the back of your mind. But there in verse 11, it says, here's how you shall eat this bread. You'll take your tunic and you'll tuck it into your belt. You'll make sure that your sandals are on your feet and that your staff is in your hand. In other words, 
you had to be ready to go at a moment's notice. This was going to be in God's timing. It was going to be his doing. And so the Jewish people were instructed, make sure you're ready. Because when I come, it's too late to prepare. You've got to be ready to go. And so Jesus now, in light of this, is coming to a time which is almost 500 years from the time that the Jewish people had seen the disappearance of the temple. And so you might remember that now in this time, Jesus is speaking of the second temple which is on the Temple Mount. Not the first, that one was destroyed by the Babylonians. When the Babylonians destroyed it, they also pilfered all of the implements in the temple. No Ark of the Covenant. That went to Babylon. Never returned. So inside of that Ark, the Ten Commandments, Aaron's rod that budded, and a pot of manna. And on top of that Ark was the mercy seat. And it was there that the presence of God actually dwelt. It was there that the high priest would sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice in order to gain forgiveness of sin, to make an atonement. That couldn't happen anymore. So all of these things had to be made symbolic. There needed to be a way for the people to understand this. And so the Passover dinner becomes the way that that is expressed. And so in the Passover meal that Jesus now says he wants to eat with his disciples... It begins very, very specifically. If you were to go to a traditional Passover Seder today, or if we were to have one, which we have had them here in the church, the first thing that happens is you send the kids out throughout the house with a little feather and a little piece of paper, generally, to sweep and find if there's any place where you can find any leaven, leaven representing sin. In other words, you need to sweep the house of sin before you can begin this celebration. I want you to keep track of these things in your mind. You don't have to obsess over them. The second thing that has to happen is you would wash your hands. You see, because here's the problem with living life, and you probably have noticed this in your own experience here on earth, uh, it doesn't take you very long to leave church having come and just celebrated communion or walked with the Lord or listened to a Bible study before you go out in the world and something happens and the world affects you in such a way that a little bit of the world's dirt gets on you. So they would wash their hands. It's like, okay, we're going to get rid of anything that we know is there. That would be what we would typically assign to confession, which leads to forgiveness, amen? So if you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive your sin. The Jewish people understood that. Let's sweep the house of sin, and let's wash our hands. Let's make sure that we've done everything we can to be as clean as we can possibly be. The third thing that would happen is the woman of the house would light the menorah. Not the Hanukkah one, which is nine candles, but the regular menorah, which is seven. And so the menorah would be lit and there would be light in the home. That light would represent the light of God. Remember what was said about Jesus when he first came. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
And then he goes on to call, he's being called also the light of the world. And in him is no darkness. And so Jesus is celebrating these things with the disciples. As they get to this place that we're going to see in our passage, there's a lot more going on than just the bread and the cup. Then they would do the telling or the Haggadah, which is just basically the telling of the story of Exodus. Why? They need to be reminded where they came from. All of us have a past, amen? Hopefully your present is not like your past and your future is better than even your present and certainly better than your past. But the Jewish people were reminded, look, this is the way it was. This is who we were. We used to make mud bricks without straw. It was not a good thing. Jesus is going to celebrate Passover. So as he tells the story of Passover, it's like, well, do you remember, children? What used to happen? We were in slavery. We were in bondage. We were working for Pharaoh. We were getting paid nothing. Our life was miserable. But we were set free. You see, sometimes to put things in context, you need to go backwards a little bit to look at where you've been in order to understand where you are, in order to really understand where you need to go. As that Seder would continue, this Passover meal would continue, it would finally make it to the first cup. Interesting. There's four of them. There's actually five if you want to include Elijah's cup. Elijah's cup was actually a whole place setting for the prophet Elijah at the end of the meal, always left vacant. And if Elijah didn't come, that place setting was untouched. And so here the first cup and the blessing of that cup was blessed are you, Lord God, King of the universe, who has created the fruit of the vine. It was an acknowledgement that God was creator. We're created in his image. The New Testament tells us there's none righteous, not one. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Most any of us should be able to boast, amen? So Jesus is celebrating this way. He's saying, look, here's the first cup. We're actually going to see the second cup in our passage. So here comes Jesus, and he gets to the second cup. This was the cup of the ten plagues. And so you take a little tiny sip and then take and put a drop out onto the Seder plate and that would be all of the ten plagues. In other words, in life, you're going to go through all kinds of difficult things and no one is untouched by those things and never should we rejoice in the pain of others because one day it may be you, maybe them the next day. You might universally go through some things together, but difficulty touches all of us. Imagine Jesus taking the first cup, creator God. The second cup, we're all in this together. None of us are going to get away from suffering. And then they got to this strange pouch that would be on the table. Oftentimes it would just simply be a folded linen, three compartments. And in three compartments there would be three pieces of this unleavened bread or what we call today matzah. Pierced, stained, but the three pieces at this point are unbroken. There's a whole piece on either end. The beginning and the end, and in the middle, there's an interesting piece. That piece is the piece that represents the priest and the mediator. That piece, called the afikomen, 
is the one that gets broken. And then something really strange happens with it. Half is put back into the pouch. Another half is wrapped in linen and hidden away. You starting to think through this a little bit? So as they're celebrating, they're at this Passover Seder. All of a sudden, Jesus gets to the actual plate, the greens. Reminds you of tears. Parsley, very often, dipped in salt water. Doesn't taste really great. But life is filled with things that we would say are tearful, difficult. They go to this beitza, which is, a, is basically a, a boiled egg today, but then it was a roasted egg. You just put it in the fire and let it cook inside because they, they couldn't make sacrifice anymore. There was no way to do it. And so it was spiritualized. And so here's this egg represented the, the sacrifice. Today, there's no temple on the Temple Mount. This is still the way it's celebrated. And finally, to a bitter herb. Today, horseradish is used. Now, I don't know about you, but anytime you eat raw horseradish, if you can keep from crying, you're a better person than I. Yeah, it represents the things that bring tears to our eyes that sometimes it's like, oh, life is filled with these things. Often put on a little piece of that unleavened bread. And it's like, here you have the bread of life and here you have the tearful things that can sometimes come out of it. And then right next to it is Charoset, this, this thing that's sweetness. It's usually apples and raisins and honey and all mixed together. It's kind of like a, almost like a little goo, if you will, that's really super sweet. And so you have bitter things and tearful things and sweet things all in this plate. And then there's a single shank bone of a lamb. Completely unbroken. Because the Passover called for it. You couldn't break the bone. It had to be whole. Start thinking about your New Testament. We're going to see it here shortly. What did John the Baptist say about Jesus? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That lamb couldn't have any broken bones. The lamb of Passover could not have any broken bones. It had to be disjointed. Whole, in other words. And so here's this bone on the plate, and the disciples are all sitting there consuming this meal with Jesus. They finally get to this pouch that contains this piece of bread that's in the center that represents the mediator. It's like, wow, what's that all about? Well, we're going to find that Jesus, we know which piece he's actually referring to. Because in the Passover meal, the only one that gets broken is the one that represents the piece in, that's in the middle, the priest or the mediator. So lock these things into your mind. He then gets to the third cup. So he's already had this, the second cup. The third cup is the cup of, cup of redemption. We know which cup Jesus is referring to in our passage because it's after supper. The third cup 
was the cup after supper. It's the cup of redemption. Price paid. The fourth cup is the cup of praise. For those of you that don't know this, whenever you say hallelujah, you're actually using Hebrew. Hallel means praise. Yah is an abbreviated way to say Yahweh. Praise God. That fourth cup was the cup of praise. Because if you've been through the difficult things, recognize you're created by God. You have not been uniquely chosen to skip all the stuff that's going on in life. You've realized the sacrifice. You've made it to the place where you've been redeemed. What's the natural cry of your heart? To praise God. This is the meal that Jesus wants to have with his disciples. It's not just a cup. You see, we simplify it because the only two things that Jesus speaks about in the Passover meal is the piece of bread that he breaks and the cup after supper. Do you understand it now? Piece of bread that he breaks is the bread that is the mediator and the cup after supper is the cup of redemption. So as we look at this story now, it will probably make a little more sense to some of you. Verse 2, And the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might kill him. Who's the him? That's Jesus. For they feared the people. They couldn't just outright put him to death because the people actually cared for Jesus. And Satan entered Judas, surnamed Iscariot, who was numbered with the twelve. And so he went his way and conferred with the chief priests and the captains on how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So here comes the story. You've got this going on in the background. And Jesus is with his disciples. And they make a decision now. Instead of yielding to the quorum of the Sanhedrin, they weren't going to do that right now. Because here's the problem. If they find Jesus guilty, they have to wait 24 hours to kill him. If they find him innocent, he can go free immediately. So they need to come up with a solution. Otherwise, they're going to end up with this happening on a high holy day, Passover itself. The high priest is under the thumb of Herod, the Roman procurator, the people that are actually running things behind the scene. And so Satan gets in the picture. This powerful body politic is now trying to move things around. All this talk about the cross and death. Notice the decision that Jesus makes in that moment. Verse 7, actually 6. And so he promised and sought opportunity to betray him to the, in the absence of the multitude. So that's what's going on behind the scenes. And then the day of the unleavened bread came. When Passover, the Passover must be killed. What are they referring to? The lamb. They're referring to the lamb. You see, in the land of Israel, every Passover, every family would take a lamb, the prime of their flock, the unblemished one, and they would watch it until the 14th of Nisan, until Passover itself. It was now that evening when the Passover must be killed. 
And he sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat. The whole thing, the whole celebration, not just bread and wine, the whole Passover. Everything the Jewish people knew to celebrate. All of these symbolic things. And so they said to him, where do you want us to prepare? And he said to them, behold, when you've entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water and follow him to the house which he enters. Now, here's the weird thing. This would have been totally strange in Jewish culture because men didn't go collect water. They certainly didn't carry water. That was the job that the women would do. And so if there was a man with a pitcher of water, that would have been really easy to spot because he would have been the only guy in all of Jerusalem doing that. So Jesus had pre-picked out who this was going to be. You shall say to the master of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large furnished room and there make it ready. Make what ready? The Passover dinner. Not just a lump of bread and a cup of wine. The whole meal. Everything that they knew to do to celebrate Passover. And when they went, they found it just as he had said to them, and they prepared the Passover. So this preparation for this final meal has been made actually before they even get there. So they're not going around looking for, you know, to mix up the charoset themselves. They're, they're not looking for the carpus, the bitter greens. They're not doing all that. It's all there. It's ready. And here's this man carrying a pitcher in the city of David. Now, the city of David, for you to understand this, the Temple Mount sits to the north. The city of David is actually to the south. It would have been this walled city. It was the ancient city. It was where David actually lived. It's called Zion. It extends almost all the way down to the confluence of the Brook Kidron, the Brook Hinnom. And at the bottom of that particular city is the Spring of Gihon flows into the pool of Siloam through Hezekiah's tunnel. And so here's this man bringing water all the way through the middle of the city to the top of the city. So they leave the Temple Mount, go through the Hulda Gates, out through the southern steps to the Water Gate. Not Water Gate as in Washington, D.C., but the Water Gate. And here they see this guy exactly where you would expect people bringing water through the water gate. And they look at him. And they follow him in. And there's this large upper room. In other words, the time had actually come for this to happen. The Lord's hour was upon him. He'd been talking about it now for weeks. The Son of Man came to seek and save that which is lost. I've come to give my life a ransom for many. He attributed to himself the names that Daniel gave, the Son of Man, the Son of God. All these things had already been said, and now he comes and he's going to celebrate a Passover Seder with the disciples. This was always the Lord's desire, ever since the Garden of Eden, church. God's been waiting to pay the final price with the blood of his own son. 
to send Jesus to Calvary's cross. And it got closer and closer and closer and closer. Can you imagine when Jesus leaves the, the house of his parents? And he says, I got to go. He's now 30. And he wanders around the hills of Judea and the region of Galilee. All these things that we've seen in Luke's gospel. And it's all come down to this one final week, this final hour, really. He sits down at that table. The Passover lamb was about to be slain. Verse 14, notice this. And when the hour had come, he sat down with the 12 apostles with him. And he said to them, with fervent desire, burning desire is another word that you could substitute there, with absolute intensity, with everything that my soul contains, I've desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Now imagine what they're thinking as they roll through all the parts of a Passover meal. Why would he want to, the, the bitter things, the, the sweet things, the unbroken bone, the sacrifice, can you imagine? Before I suffer, I want to eat this with you. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is in the fulfilled kingdom of God. And then he took the cup and gave thanks. Take this and divide it amongst yourselves. Now notice, there's two cups in view in the remainder of these passage, this passage. The first one, he says, you divide it amongst yourselves. That's the second cup. That's the one that everyone drinks from. That, that's the one that contains all of life's difficulties. The one that represents the plagues. The tough stuff that touches each of us. Said, each of you drink from this. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And so he gives them this first cup. Well, it's interesting that he makes it to that place because now he's come down to the final things. He's come down to this sacrifice. He said, before I'm sacrificed, before I'm slain, before what is going to happen in the next 24 hours happens. I want to do this with you guys. At that time, if you were to take a Passover lamb and you go into the courtyard, the priests that were attending in the courtyard would take and skewer it with a piece of pomegranate wood. They would skewer it vertically and they would skewer it horizontally so that they could flip it over on the altar. You imagine they're thinking through that. It's like, yeah, it's kind of strange, you know, that Passover lamb, they didn't cut it up into pieces and sacrifice it and cook it that way. They left it whole with a stake through it horizontally and vertically. This is before this happens. Divide it among yourselves. He was sharing with them 
what was coming next. And that was his own death. Now remember what I said about the, the bread. Because this is really important as we get to the rest of this. If you'd reveal, take off that bottom seal and take out that piece of matzah that's underneath there on the bottom of your cup. Notice what Jesus does. And this is how we know which piece it is. Because this is the one that you would break. And he took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it. Notice what he says. And he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. What does that piece represent? The priest and the mediator. Paul writes to Timothy, there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. There is no other name under heaven whereby men must be saved. It is at the name of Jesus that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus takes out that piece of bread. And remember what he does. If he celebrates this the way we believe he did, he broke it, he took half of it, wrapped it in linen, and hid it away for the kids to go find later. What happened to Jesus? His body was broken, he was wrapped in linen, and hidden away for later. And so in our passage... Jesus says, after he takes the bread and he broke it and he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He was saying, I am the mediator. I am your high priest. The very truth that the book of Hebrews proclaims for us Jesus said, as often as you eat of this piece, do so in remembrance of me. Let's partake together. If that weren't enough, look at the symbolism of the rest of it. And likewise, he took the cup, check out when, after supper. Which cup is that? It's not the cup of creation. It's not the cup of the affliction. It's the cup of redemption. Jesus takes the third cup, the cup of redemption after supper. It's that cup he's drinking from. This is mind-bogglingly precise. He takes the cup of redemption and likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. In other words, the redemption that he's symbolizing is his own blood, which is shed for you. And of course, the Apostle Paul says in like manner, as often as you drink of this cup, do so in remembrance of me. Let's partake together.
Lord Jesus, we thank you for your body, which was broken. Lord, you were beaten. That crown of thorns was pressed on your head. Lord, those stripes that laid you bare should have been my back, our backs. But you took those stripes for us, and by those stripes, we have been healed. And that chastisement, Isaiah the prophet said, is for our peace. Lord, when you said it is finished, it's finished because the price of redemption is paid. And here you tell us that after supper, you took the cup of redemption and said that your blood would be shed for us so it becomes our redemption. God, we thank you for sending Jesus, your own son, to die in our place, to pay the price for our sin, that we might be set free from bondage. Lord, all of these pictures that come from the Exodus, Lord, that come from Passover, Lord, how beautiful is your plan? How precise, how magnificent, Lord, is your care for us? We thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice. We thank you for paying the price for our sin. We honor you. We ask these things in your precious name. Amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.